0: Today we celebrate the transfiguration of the Lord. It's, uh, this day serves as the end of the season of epiphany, and it's a season that's bookended by two epiphanies, uh, or manifestations, or uh, appearances of God. First we have the epiphany of the wise men, as they meet the newborn king. Uh, and then also today we have the epiphany of Peter, James, and John as Jesus is transfigured before them and they see him in shining uh, white clothes and appearance, alongside some of the all-stars of the Hebrew Bible, Moses and Elijah. But the story and this day in the life of the church also represents a turning point in both the gospel and the church year. From Jesus' transfiguration on the mountain, the rest of the gospel and Jesus' ministry flows downward to Jerusalem where Jesus will be arrested and crucified, and of course, rise again. Transfiguration is celebrated in the church here on the Sunday before Ash Wednesday and uh, the start of Lent, making this the turning point in the year Whereas the gospel writer Luke says, Jesus sets his face towards Jerusalem. Today we conclude our series for this season, Let It Shine. We've explored Together, how Jesus shines God's light and how we as disciples are called to shine that light. Next week, as we begin uh, Lent, I do hope you can join us on Wednesday for our service in Potluck. Uh, But next Sunday, as we um, begin our our Sundays in Lent, we'll start a new sermon series uh, that I've entitled God on the Move. Where we'll see how Jesus in the Gospels is always on the move showing that God is present in our lives no matter what we may be going through. God is with us and God goes before us. I invite you to listen now with open hearts and minds as we encounter God's word together from the ninth chapter of Luke, beginning with the 28th verse. Now about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up to the mountain to pray. And while he was praying... The appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly they saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking to him. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. Now Peter and his companions were weighed down with sleep. But since they stayed awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Just as they were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were terrified as they entered the cloud. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent and in those days told no one any of the things they had seen. Let's stop here for a moment. Several years ago, before we had kids, Marie and I decided to take a trip to northern Georgia to get away for a long weekend and to be out in nature. We took some scenic drives, ate at some fun restaurants, but what we were really excited about doing was Hiking. We decided to hike up uh, what was called Brasstown Bald, which is the highest point in the state of Georgia. The hike itself wasn't particularly long, it was less than a mile, but it was straight uphill. So after what seemed like endless twists and turns, our trail eventually ended at the summit. We lucked out that it happened to be a crystal clear day and the scenery was breathtaking from northern Georgia. From it, we could see all the surrounding mountains, and since it was early spring, we could even see the trees at the bottom with their green leaves, and gradually less so as you looked up in elevation. Looking out over the northern Georgia countryside, seeing into Tennessee and North Carolina as well, life seemed simple, seemed peaceful. It's amazing how being on a mountaintop can reframe the way we look at life. So we took some pictures and tried to savor the moment, but at some point we knew we'd have to go back. We'd have to take that same steep, twisty, turny path back down the mountain into our car. Our gospel lesson this morning is about a mountaintop moment. We spent the last two Sundays with Jesus down on the plain, on level ground, but now the topography changes. Eight days after Jesus foretells of his death and resurrection for the first time, he leads a few of his disciples up a high mountain. We don't know for sure which mountain. We don't really know why these three disciples. But for some reason, Jesus chooses Peter, James, and John to travel up with him to some random mountain. Now, mountaintops hold a special place in the Bible, as they do for many of us in our lives. The top of the mountain is a common place for revelation. Revelation for one to encounter God. Think of Moses on the top of the mountain when he receives the Ten Commandments. A mountaintop became what the Celtics would later call a thin place. A thin place where the distance between heaven and earth was at its smallest or at its thinnest. As soon as they reach the top, the disciples see Jesus transfigured as he prays. His assumedly bland, ordinary, and probably dirty clothing, turns to dazzling white. There's a blazing light around him, and all of a sudden, they see Moses and Elijah beside him. Seeing these all-stars of the Old Testament tells these disciples that their rabbi isn't just some ordinary teacher and healer. No, he is truly God's son. He is part of God's transformation and redemption of our broken world. This is a mountaintop moment, not just literally, But spiritually, it's not every day we get to see such things. So once Jesus is transfigured, the disciples are terrified. They're intrigued. And from this weird feeling, Luke describes what I would call an awkward moment with Peter. Have you ever witnessed something so amazing or profound, and not knowing what to say, uh, but you feel like the silence is even more uncomfortable and awkward, so you just jump in and say something? I think this is exactly what Peter does here. He steps in in this awkward silence and offers to build three dwellings on the mountaintop. Let me build a house, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, Jesus. This way we can stay here for longer. Perhaps we can stay here forever. We never have to come down from the mountain. Peter doesn't want this moment to end. He wants to stay on the mountaintop. Can you blame him? We've all had mountaintop moments in faith and life, extraordinary moments, moments that are so amazing that they overshadow reality. And like the disciples, we want these moments to last. We want to stay on the mountaintop. One theologian, Bruce Epperly, says that the disciples rightly want to stay on the mountaintop. We want mystical moments to last forever in their purity. We want to savor falling in love without doing the dishes and changing diapers. We want God without all the complications of a life devoted to relational and social transformation. But a full life leads us from contemplation to action, and from mysticism to dirty hands, bringing heaven to earth. To me, those words are really powerful. I heard a radio interview a while back with a sociologist who was describing what she called the Facebook effect. Most people post their mountaintop moments in life on social media for all to see. A new job, an engagement, a baby on the way, and so on. What people tend to not post about are moments of life on the ground, one's normal day-to-day life, or even less frequently, the below-ground moments, a troubled relationship, losing a job, a medical concern. A study from the University of Michigan shows that this has a tendency overall to make people sad. It seems because people's use of social media has distorted life to be all about mountaintop moments, and it makes ordinary life seem empty by comparison. The same can be true with discipleship, I think. We often hear of people's extraordinary stories of faith, of God speaking directly to individuals. And like Peter, we want to build the dwelling of our faith there, that it can last forever. But we seldom hear about the day-to-day life of a follower of Jesus, of ongoing prayer, of trust and struggle in the midst of doubt, or suffering, or of giving oneself or their resources out of a deep gratitude for God's grace. It's a reminder, friends, that discipleship is not lived on the mountaintop, but on level ground. And Luke's version of the story helps us to see that. as The story doesn't end on the mountain in Luke. He describes what happens as soon as Jesus and his three disciples come down from the mountain. And so, since Jesus comes down from the mountain with the disciples to finish this story, it seems like this would be better done from level ground as well. So let's finish the story, uh, starting at verse 37. The next day, when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met him. Just then, a man from the crowd shouted, Teacher, I beg you, look at my son, he is my only child. Suddenly, a spirit seizes him, and all at once he shrieks, It convulses him until he foams at the mouth. It mauls him and will scarcely leave him. I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Jesus answered, You faithless and perverse generation, how much longer must I be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. While he was coming, the demon dashed him to the ground in convulsions. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit, healed the boy. And gave him back to his father. And all were astounded at the greatness of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So as soon as Jesus and the three descend from the mountain, they're met by a great crowd. And from that crowd emerges a man, a father whose only child is suffering from convulsions. You can hear the desperation in his voice. It's my son, my only child. The father had begged Jesus' remaining nine disciples to cast out this demon, this ailment, but they couldn't. Then he begs Jesus to look at his son. Jesus seems to respond here to the disciples' inability to heal the boy, but if we look at the greater story, we start to see a bigger theme emerge. Jesus casts out the demon in no time flat. And at this, Luke says, All were astounded at the greatness of God. This day in the life of the church is all about the manifestation, the appearance and glory of God. On the mountaintop, the three disciples, upon seeing the transfigured Jesus on the mountain, what does Luke tell us? They were terrified. They were terrified by the glory of God. But here on level ground, after Jesus heals a boy, after he comes down from this transformative, transfigured uh, experience. He comes down and heals a boy, and Luke tells us that all gathered there are astounded by the greatness of God. The story of Jesus' transfiguration shows us that the glory, the power of God, isn't only experienced on the mountaintops of life, but down in the valleys as well. We experience God's presence, God's love, God's greatness through Christ when we are on level ground, ministering to those in need in our midst. Christ meets us when we are caring for the sick, providing comfort to the hurting and the lonely, advocating for the oppressed. Like Peter, we often want to remain on the mountaintop. We want to build booths or dwellings for such a moment to last, removed from the rest of the world. But here, Luke paints a picture of a transfigured Jesus who comes down the mountain and calls us to go down too, that we might be with, that we might be present and minister with those in need on the level ground. There's one place on level ground, friends, that we know Jesus promises to meet us, and it's at this table, where we trust and know that by God's spirit, Christ meets us here to feed us, to strengthen us, to nourish us, that we might go out and shine his light in the world. On mountaintops and level ground and everywhere in between, knowing that God is present with us through Christ. So, friends, as we go, may we shine the light of Christ out in the world in our lives. May we savor the mountaintop moments, but may we also come down and be ready to be present with those on the ground who need our care and our love. May we do so, friends, and may we let the light shine today, tomorrow, And always. Amen.